and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David, and as always, I am joined by the three-dimensional Matt. Hello there. So, um, I never really know how to start our episodes. I just, the thing is, I just well, want to, to dive straight in. Can, but, can, I, uh, can I jump in? Cause one, yes, of course. One thing I want to do before we start is apologise. Yeah. Right. Because I listened back to last week's episode, and I don't know uh-huh. what was wrong with me, but I was a really, really miserable fuck. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you got into that? me. I listened to it yesterday, and I was like, I, I, was I having a bad day? I had no reason to, but all the way through, I was just like, yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, I'm not, <laughs> not happy with this. Don't like that. Well, like I say, you're entitled to your opinion. I know, but like, I did not like what I was hearing from myself on that. <laughs> it is awful, isn't it, when you listen back to yourself sometimes and you, and you think like, I mean, I can remember saying those things. But... Yeah, I mean, I know of the two of us, I'm the one that's probably more critical of Doctor Who. But I mean, definitely. I've got the fan blinkers on and I make... Uh, yeah, but there's, you know, there's a difference between that. being critical and borderline being an absolute arsehole so (laughs) so sorry about that i listened to it in the car yesterday i was just like oh oh that is not flattering (laughs) yeah oh well well um yeah i mean so have you do you think you've mellowed on uh, oh no i still i still don't like it but (laughs) (laughs) so it's more just the 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 way in which you were dismissive of it (laughs) yeah like i I was i don't know i just wasn't very charming yeah. Well, uh, are you going to attempt to be more charming about uh, today's episode, well, The Power of Three? It's quite funny because I've gotten into like a little routine now that yeah. when I'm going to watch the episode, I normally put out on Twitter, you know, tonight I am watching, blah de blah are there any thoughts? And one of our listeners, Chris, I think we've mentioned him yeah. a few times, mm-hmm. is quite good at sort of giving me like a spoiler-free what to expect for this, uh-huh. for each episode. So, you know, I, I agreed with what he said this week in that he said, you know, that the episode we're talking about, not very much happens, it's a bit slow-paced and what have you. But actually, I think this is probably my favourite episode of the series so far. Mm. I, I, I'll t- shall I tell you where, where I stand on it? I think for the first, certainly for the first 30 minutes... It is on track to be the strongest episode of the series by far. Mm. I think the ending rather undoes that goodwill. It it kind of goes off the rails a bit um, in the way that the episode is resolved. But, and we will get onto it um, when the time comes, there are poten- there is potentially uh, mitigating factors for right. why that is the case. But... Um, I feel I liked this episode for all the reasons I gave that I didn't like last week's. Um, mm. So I, I think the self-contained sort of story of this episode yeah. isn't the strongest. No. And I'm not entirely certain why, but I feel this episode feels like a real beat in the overarching story. And yeah. I, I can't tell you where that story's going and what happens, but I just feel like the whole world moves on a little bit with this episode. Definitely. If, we, if we're if looking at this through the lens of the story of Amy and Rory, mm-hmm. this, is a, this really kind of focuses in on where they are at with their lives. And sort of the, the 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 things that they are grappling with, with having this sort of like dual life of the life with the Doctor and the life um, at home. Mm. Um, and I think but it explores all that very well. I, I I also like the reintroduction of Unit. I think yes. I think I quite like them as a concept. I like they are it. Brilliant. I like it when. We don't see it that often, but the Doctor's actions and adventures do have repercussions and ramifications. Yeah. And he's yeah. not always necessarily there to deal with it. Exactly. Unit kind of acts as a anchor for Earth, for, for the Doctor's 
uh, the, you know, provides a sort of link between the Doctor and Earth, if you like, um, so that we as viewers kind of, I don't know, I, it's hard to articulate what I'm saying, uh, but yeah, I've always kind of liked the way it kind of, it grounds yeah. the world of Doctor Who and, and makes it feel a little more like, you know, all that craziness going on in space sometimes a little bit of that does kind of trickle down here. And of course we would have something like unit in a world, you know, in a universe, like the doctor who universe, we would need something like that, mm -hmm. you know, because the doctor isn't always around. He's not a reliable um, person. To, yeah. Yes. He's thwarted many an invasion attempt, but he, you just have to hope that he turns up or is there at the time. <laughs> Otherwise, I, you know, I, you might be in a sticky situation. I think, I think the last time we saw Unit, was it the adventures of Lee Evans and the flying bus? Yes, I think that was yeah. the last time. Um, no no familiar faces from that yeah. uh, story here. Um, ooh, do I spoil things for you? Yeah, I'm going to spoil this, just because cause I'm, I'm happy that you're happy for it. Um, just so you're aware, uh, Kate Stewart... He's a recurring character. This is well, not the last time we see her. Yeah, I, I assumed that would be the case. I didn't think yeah. they would introduce someone with... I, I don't want to say such strong ties, because she herself mm. doesn't, but her character does, if you know what yes, I mean. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's, I didn't it's... think they could do that as a throwaway. Mm. And you know what's really interesting? Uh, in In naming her Kate... They have essentially made canon a series of direct-to-video fan films which were produced during the wilderness years in the 90s. You know, cheap as chips, but they, they managed to persuade Nicholas Courtney to appear in a couple and centred them around Unit. And that introduced the fact that he had a daughter called Kate and, you know, played by a different actress and oh, she wow. was younger at the time. But if you are so inclined... As a fan, you can basically take everything that's in those videos as canon, and you know this is the same Kate Stewart. How how available are they? I've never looked for them. I'm sure you'd be able to find them. Uh, if I'm sure you, you know where you know, I'm going videos. with this line of thought. <laughs> One day, maybe. I think it might be interesting to look at some of the Wilderness Years fan content, but I've got so many other weird little ephemeral bits and bobs that I, I want to squeeze in here and there that they're not the priority at the moment, mm -hmm. but I'm going to say never say never on okay. this one. Um, okay. But yeah, I think that's interesting. And, it, and, and it's nice that it's, it's frustrating that it's taken this long to have a sort of if you like replacement for the brigadier and you know and because the, the the great thing about the, the the heyday of unit stories during the third doctor era was that you had familiar faces within unit mm. and you so the, the doctor could actually build up a relationship and straight off the bat matt smith the way he plays off uh, Gemma redgrave as as kate stewart there's something there isn't there well he he immediately sort of validates her as a character. Yes. You know, the way yeah. he just accepts it almost forces us to. Yeah, and, yeah. You and, know, I, and, I it's... don't care as much as a lot of people do, but mm. I'm certain, you know, there will have been people watching this that would have been like, oh, God, you know, what? what's the phrase? Is it a Mary Sue where we've just got this, like, female that can yeah. do everything? But the but fact the thing that is she can't, she's just well, no. But you... she's just a person in a position of power. You, you know, you know what the world's like. <laughs> I know, you I know. know. It's because you yeah. say she's a person in a position of power. She's a yeah. woman in a position of power, and that <laughs> well, is that a big problem for some on. people, isn't it? But the fact that <laughs> the doctor yeah. just simply goes, "Yeah, okay," sort of forces yeah. us to. Yeah, and it's and it's so interesting as well because, of course, you know, the doctor, generally speaking anti-authority like he generally doesn't have much respect for authority figures that come waltzing into a given situation but and, and you you know it is basically even though she doesn't come out and say it you can see he's already sussed that this is um a relation of uh the brig and that kind of automatically gives him a certain 
uh, get, you know, allows him to, to to sort of give her a certain amount of respect that may not have otherwise happened. And the fact as well that you know she's apologising for the like the, the grunt soldiers and saying, look, science leads, and I'm I you know she's heading up the scientific wing of unit, so her perspective is like on a similar page to the doctors, basically. So. Uh... I'll be totally honest, I made one of my big series predictions in in relation to Kate Stewart, but then I've sort of scrubbed it out and I still don't know if I want to bank on it or not. You don't have to bank on it, but I'd be interested to hear it. So, uh, in fact, yeah, why not? I'll bank on it. I, I think at some point she will travel with the Doctor and meet the brigadier in his pomp, but then I remembered that the actor that played the brigadier died, so yes, they might not. Yeah. And not only yeah. if he hadn't died, he'd be a very old man. <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, and I, I don't, I don't think the BBC has quite got the um, the budget for just reanimating dead actors yeah. that say Disney has, or, with or just doing a big deep fake where they put his face on someone. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um. But you could still, uh, you know, hold on to the first part and be like, you know, at some point Kate Stewart's going to travel in the TARDIS, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Everyone seems to be doing it these days. <laughs> uh, indeed. Um, anyway, uh, that's probably enough of a preamble, isn't it? Yeah. Should we uh, sort of work our way through this one? Right. So before we start, I'm going to apologise because... I'm not sat in my normal chair for recording this. So if I move around, I'm sat in my leather chair. So if it sounds like I'm trumping, it is the chair. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm just going to reach over to get my notebook. So if it makes a horrible noise, I'm really sorry. I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let it happen. There we go. Uh, we'll see how that comes out on the recording. I mean, I, I've never apologised for it, but I'm in a very squeaky old office chair, which I, I think ever since we started doing these over Skype, I think people will probably notice the odd squeak coming from me. But, uh, yeah, I can assure you again, it is the chair. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, Power of Three. Yeah. Season 7, Episode 4, from the 22nd of September 2012. Mm-hmm. Written by Chibbers. Yes, yeah. Um... He's only had one week off and he's back again. He's doing a lot, isn't he? No wonder yeah. they gave him the reins. Mm. And I think, you know, overall, any flaws that you may sort of level at this episode, I don't think his script is really what's at fault here. No. Um, I it, Overall, I think it's quite a strong script. And certainly he seems to have a better handle on the emotional arc of... Uh, the three main characters than uh, Moffat does at the moment, mm. it seems. So, so uh, yeah. we open with Amy giving a comparison of her sort of dual life at the moment. Life yeah, with yeah. the Doctor and without the Doctor. Yeah. So, you know, it begins with this sort of like crazy montage of, you know, all the stuff we've seen, all the crazy adventures they've had. Uh, and then says, you know, and here's life without the Doctor. And it's them obviously having been dropped off for an adventure <laughs> two months since they were last in their house. You know, they've got out-of-date milk, messages on the answer phone, and it's just sort of like this back-to-reality kind of thing. Mm. So Rory says that they need to choose between life with and without the Doctor. Mm. And at that moment, the Doctor appears. Yeah, And Amy basically says that, you know, they slot into and out of the Doctor's life and he's never made the effort to do that with their lives except the time he came to stay. The time of the slow invasion. Mm -hmm. So that's where we get the titles. Yeah. And I I was sort of intrigued by this. You know, it's a a nice change. I, I... I think I might prefer the adventures on Earth. Yeah, in some ways it feels almost like a throwback to uh, the Russell T. Davis era, Mm. where there was a much greater emphasis on kind of the domestic side of 
um, you know, crazy alien invasions and things like that. There were more uh, Earth invasion stories and and uh, a lot more scenes of just people sat around in living rooms. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I I like it too. I think the I think the the the, co- the concept of just all these cubes suddenly appearing one day. That's a really interesting starting point for a sci-fi story. So it's just made me think there, because the next thing I was going to talk about involves Brian. Yes. So who do you prefer, Brian or Jackie? See, for a second I was worried you were going to say Wilf, and that would have been a really, really hard decision. He's on a pedestal on his own. But when you were just talking about the good old... RTD days. It just yeah, made me think about yeah. Jackie. Jackie Tyler. Um, they're both good value, is the thing. They're mm. in very different ways. Um, maybe Brian? All right, maybe that's just recency let, bias. Let me rephrase it. Who would you most want to accompany you on an adventure? Oh, Brian, without a doubt. But that's because I am, you know, I've basically been a fifty-year-old man trapped in the body of a whatever age I currently am since about the age of about fourteen. Right. So, so yeah, I, 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 I'm sure I could have a lovely time, you know, going, going on a sort of ramble across the moors with Brian, talking about progressive rock. So, okay, so Brian appears and rings the doorbell which wakes up Amy and Rory, and he wants to show them that there are cubes everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the Doctor is sort of sat on like a climbing frame over the road, and he gives them all a wry smile, you know? Yeah. It it was as if to say, come on, you know, cubes everywhere, (laughs) as if I wasn't going to turn up. Exactly. You know, it's like the most Doctor set up ever. Indeed. Uh, and we get a nice shot of Brian Cox on the television talking about mm-hmm. the cubes. Yeah. it's. I love the sort of TV cameos you get in Doctor Who that just perfectly date an episode. Yeah. Because this would have just been quite near the start of Brian Cox becoming a bit of a household name. Mm. I, I, I'm sure I've mentioned it before, but I once went to a lecture by Brian Cox. All right. About... Just the universe, space and time. And mm-hmm. I, I imagine it's like the first time people take acid. Like, <laughs> I, I was not right in the head for a few days after that. Yeah, because it's just this this just bewildering, like, trying to think about how massive the universe is. It's, it's yeah. genuinely not possible. It was like, you know? you know that scene where the Time Lords make the Master stare into that void? Yeah, and it yeah, like breaks like, him. It was a bit like, like that. You, I forget. Are you have you read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Uh, I've seen the film, but I didn't really care for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the film is crap. It's not. It's not really a good. It's not a good adaptation at all. Got to go back. I mean, if you really, if you've got the patience for audio, the radio series is is the original and best. Or feigning that the novels are really quite good as well. But there's a concept in one of them. It's like a punishment called the total perspective vortex. Right. And what it does is it basically just shows you with perfect accuracy exactly where you are in relation to the universe and exactly how tiny you are right in 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 in, in, in all of time and space <laughs> you know how infinite so even if you have like the world's biggest ego it would just make you feel just like a speck of dust yeah in I the grand scheme yeah um so yeah, it's it is a bewildering thing. But anyway, yeah, so nice to see Brian Cox. It's about time. Yeah. You know, we've had Patrick Moore, we've had Richard Dawkins. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a it's Cox's tradition. turn. Yeah. So back with the doctor, there's him, Rory, Amy and Brian, and they're mm-hmm. on the TARDIS which is in the Pond's house. Yeah. And as they're discussing the cubes, a SWAT team surrounds the house. Uh-huh. And this is the team led by Kate Stewart from Unit. Yeah. Yeah, and she's in charge because unit the government, and in fact, world science has no understanding of these cubes. Yes, and she says that she she picked up you know readings of high archon energy <laughs> around this address, and was like you know basically they can track the TARDIS because you know archon energy being being kind of what 
uh, sort of allows the TARDIS to travel through time and space. It's like a residue almost mm. that it that it gives off. Yeah, we we we've heard that mentioned before. Yeah, yeah, I forget exactly which which sort of classic story first establishes it, but it's one of those little bits of jargon that fans and, and writers have clung on to and continue to bandy yeah, about every now and definitely. then. Definitely, when she mentioned it, it was a term I was familiar with and I knew what she yeah. was on about. Yeah, so, and I, I, I love the way she enters Kate Stewart because she really kind of makes me think of, you know, those sort of like posh country ladies... You know, she sort of sort of sweeps in and and is sort of like, oh, I'm sorry about the you know the, the boys here. It's like, and she says something along the lines of, you know, the dogs do enjoy a runner around. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I she's I, I I love her attitude. So, the doctor deduces the reason these cubes are everywhere is because they want to be observed, mm. and. Maybe the most important part of my notes for this episode. I've just written here, there's a bit where Rory is sat on the sofa. He looks really nice. (laughs) The Rory obsession continues apace. Uh, Honestly, honestly. I even even Googled the actor, Arthur Darville, because I think he was in... I think the BBC did a series about being in lockdown. Right. And he was in it. Oh, right. He's, he's so handsome. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, you know. He's aged well like a fine wine. <laughs> I can imagine. So, because the cubes want to be observed, the doctor says, you know, I don't really cope well with sitting still observing. Um, mm. I'm going to go keep myself busy whilst you observe them. And we yeah, get a little I montage th- where he does like five million kick-ups and uh, like varnishes a, a fence. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. One of them. And uh, yeah, he, well, he does something else as well, doesn't he? Um, but in- and through through all of this, it's it manages to burn all of an hour. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people could probably relate to that in their current yeah, circumstances. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. So. Yeah. He then goes back on board the TARDIS, and this bit made me smile. Brian's just yeah. sort of sat there in a little wooden chair, and he just because <laughs> yeah, because earlier the Doctor had asked him to keep an eye on the cubes. Yeah, when they went in there, so he'd taken it so literally. I think did they say it's been about four days? Four days, yeah. <laughs> and and, and Brian's line where he just says, "Ah, oh, doesn't time fly when you're just alone with your thoughts?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, really, oh, really so good. good. Really good. Yeah. Um, so everyone then leaves, and well, the doctor sort of pursues this cube investigation whilst everyone else gets on with their lives. Mm-hmm. So Amy commits to being a bridesmaid. Mm-hmm. Although I got the feeling she was going to be told, "You're not a bridesmaid." But... It did seem like. Well, I think. The the way the uh the the bride in question pitched it, she was just like, "Look, you've missed a lot of stuff recently," and I think that it was leading to, "Can I actually rely on you to do ah, this?" Ah, see, I thought it was leading to, "You've missed a lot of stuff recently, therefore." But then Amy yeah. just goes, "Yeah, of course, I'll be your bridesmaid." Mm-hmm. Um, Rory, on the other hand, takes a new job, so he's committing to yeah. more hours working at the hospital. Yeah, because there's like a, a a more senior nurse there who just says, "Look, you're you're brilliant, but unreliable. You, you know, unreliable because you, you're kind of working part time and you go on these long trips and you know." And Brian, on the other hand, is still watching the cubes. Yeah, he's doing like a little video log, isn't he? Yeah, so <laughs> he, yeah. he films the cubes whilst he sleeps, and then yeah. wakes up to watch the videos whilst watching the cubes. Yeah. Uh, And then we fast forward to December Mm -hmm. in the assumption that things are sort of smoothing out in everyone's lives. They've got a bit of, you know, consistency. And the cubes themselves have just kind of become 
commonplace, just part of the furniture. They're yeah. just around. So you know. we see them in different settings, don't we? Yeah, yeah. Like you know, just sat around in people's cupboards and on, you know, used as paperweights in offices and things like that. And it's just like, I don't know. I guess that would happen, at least to an extent, because if you can't destroy them, mm. they're just there. Yeah. What would you use a cube for? If you had one around um, the house. Paperweight. It's, well, I don't know. Like, but who really uses paperweights I know. Anymore? I've just got, like, I mean, the room I'm recording in now, if yeah. I look around, I've just got piles of stuff. So, yeah. like, it would just join one of the piles, I would think. Yeah. Make a decent doorstop, I think. Yeah, it'd be something along those lines. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But do you think, I'd maybe do you think paint you, you some keep it dots around? on it and use it as a dice. Oh, that would be good. Big yeah. chunky dice. Yeah. Anyway. Um... <laughs> so, so, yeah, they're just around everywhere. So, in Rory's hospital, we meet, like, a creepy little girl holding one of the cubes. Mm-hmm. And two, I've called them doctors, but I think they're supposedly nurses, like hospital porters, who have weird mouths. Yes, now, yes. Uh, I, I want to mention that, because that's obviously a plot point that's really relevant and goes places. Yeah, yeah, you'd think, <laughs> wouldn't you? Yeah, literally does not matter. Yeah. Well, I, we will address this when we get to the end of the episode. Don't worry. We will we will address how this story resolves and, and sort of dangling threads, etc. So so we then fast forward to the following June. So it's nine months since the cubes mm-hmm. landed. Yeah. And it's Amy and Rory's anniversary party. Yeah. They're having a barbecue, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the doctor arrives with some flowers and his gift is he's going to take them to the recently opened Savoy Hotel. Yes. Um, except it's a Zygon ship. Yes, our second shout out to the Zygons so far in, in the history of New Who. Um, and I don't think I mentioned it last time because last time it was just a reference in the Pandorica Opens where, do you remember when all of the different alien races That's all had right. ships and yeah. like Draconians were mentioned and things like that. Zygons were one of them. Um, but this one we get slightly more because, you know, he mentions the fact that they, um, half of the staff at the hotel were, were actually Zygons. So Zygons are shapeshifters. Right, okay. So they can pose as human beings. Um, they've only ever appeared in one classic story, The Terror of the Zygons. But for whatever reason, Doctor Who fandom has always had a bit of an affection for them. Well, um, I, I think even though I've never encountered them and I don't know anything about them, yeah. it's a brilliant name for an alien race, isn't it? It is. It's if the you're most just going to throw Who-y out an name. alien race, oh, it's the Zygons. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a very good Doctor Who name. And if you, I'll tell you what, I'll show you if I can find a picture of a of a Zygon for you. Uh, so there you okay. go. That's a, pic- a picture of a, of, a, of a Zygon from Terror of the Zygons. So they're like insectoid bull they're sort, people? Yeah, they're sort of... They've got rubbery suckers all over them and uh, stuff like that. They're quite a good... Like, they're striking design, but they are, they are extremely, like... The, the if you ask someone to just like think of the most stereotypical Doctor Who monster, mm. you you couldn't do much better than the Zygons, I don't think. So, um, so it's nice for them to get a little reference. Uh, David Tennant said in interviews when he was asked because you know he watched a lot of Doctor Who growing up and had said it was one of the things that made him want to be an actor. Yes, was watching Doctor Who, um, and so when people asked him in interviews. Um, what his favourite monster was. He always said the Zygons. I think he sort of secretly always hoped that he'd get a Zygon story, but obviously that never that never panned out. So, uh, yeah. Spare a thought for old David Tennant. <laughs> <laughs> so, whilst Amy, Rory and the Doctor are away, they yeah. later visit Henry VIII, mm-hmm. and Amy accidentally marries him. <laughs> yeah. 
And it turns out when they return to the anniversary party, they've actually been away seven weeks. <laughs> yes. Uh, it seems like a few minutes. And the only person yeah. that really notices is Brian. Yes, because he's tweeted that they're in different clothes Mm. when they left. And this is one of the things I meant when I said this episode feels like a real story point. Brian asks, what happened to all the other people that travelled with the Doctor? Oh gosh, and yes, this moment. Yeah. You know, and he says, well, some of them left. I had to leave some of them. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he openly admits some of them died. Yeah, and I, I haven't seen that in modern Who. That's not happened yet, has it? No, no, it hasn't, and it happened very rarely in classic Who yeah, as well. I think he only gives. Does he say only a couple of them? Yeah, so it depend. <laughs> there is debate about this because there's no sort of standard definition of who counts as a companion. Mm-hmm. So, if in the broadest definition, you could point to three characters in Classic Who. Um, Katarina, Sarah Kingdom, and most significantly, Adric. Okay. Adric was the one who, who actually travelled with the Doctor for a long period of time. You've not seen Adric, have you? No. no. He was mostly a... He was basically late-era fourth Doctor, early-era fifth Doctor. Okay. Um, and I think he'd already gone by the time... Yeah, because he's it, it's Turlow in uh, That's right. Enlightenment, isn't it? Yeah. How how does he die? I'm not going to tell you because who knows? Maybe you'll end up seeing that one day. Right. Okay. That seems fair. Yeah. So when the anniversary party begins to wind down, again, I th- I think this is quite an important bit. The Doctor asks Amy if he can stay with them for a bit. And he openly admits that he misses them. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen him... Whenever he sort of collects them for adventure, he is almost, like, pestering them to come with him. And I think this is the first time he openly admits that he misses them. Yeah. Because there's a lot of bluster when he's travelling on his own. There's a lot of bluster of oh, I'm fine, yeah, you know. But we know for a fact it, he's not fine, and like he he very quickly goes off the rails when he's on his own for too long. You know, that's basically the theme running through the the the, the latter years of of uh, Tennant. You know, the post Donna specials mm. where he's just you know going <laughs> getting madder and madder. Um, so. Uh, we so, then yeah. fast forward to July, yeah, and we see Alan Sugar selling cubes on The Apprentice. <laughs> yeah, our other cameo that that really dates this story. Do you know what? I love The Apprentice. Do you? I, I, I there's nothing I like more than seeing well self-important middle-class people fail. Yeah, and obviously that's what they play into. They, you yeah. know, and I, I found it very satisfying for like two or three series, but I cannot watch it anymore. Mm. I just, I just feel like I've gotten everything out of it that I was ever going to get out of it. Yeah, and it's just, it's, it's just the same. You know, every year it's just another collection of the exact same type of assholes. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I just don't need that in my life. <laughs> So, whilst they're watching The Apprentice, the Doctor, Amy and Rory are eating fish fingers and custard. Yep, another reference back to that. And we find out... Does that, does that annoy you as much as it used to? Uh, no, because it's almost become, like, a hallmark, hasn't it? Exactly, it's just one of one of the quirks of this particular Doctor. And, you know, See, it's what, nice. What did annoy me was when the Doctor said he invented Yorkshire puddings. I wondered whether we were going to get that to this. Because yeah. he didn't. No. If anyone asked me who invented Yorkshire puddings, I would say my gran. <laughs> no one had ever made them previously. And no one had made them as good as my gran. Uh, you know, that that I could potentially believe. Um, so, yeah, I just thought, you know, leave it alone. You're not, yeah. you're, you're not from Yorkshire. You have no opinion on Yorkshire. It's crossing a line, you know, is it? It's like when you get people who are like, oh, I, I think Yorkshire puddings are a starter. No, they're not. 
No, they are not. Oh, let's not get back on that. And people that are like, oh, do you have Yorkshire pudding with your Christmas dinner? You have it with every roast dinner if you're civilised. To to be fair, let's not forget that this episode is written by Chris Chibnall, who, though isn't a Yorkshireman by birth, does have a lot of affection for Yorkshire. Like, he went to uni in Yorkshire. So a bit like me has... You know, I I'm someone I I wouldn't I wouldn't lay claim to being a Yorkshire person at all because I you know I was an adult by the time I moved here, but I very much made myself at home here, mm. and um, yeah, it's an easy place to fall in love with Yorkshire, and I think when we eventually get on to the Chibnall era, you'll see that he does have a lot of genuine affection for Yorkshireness oh, in all its forms. Wait. <laughs> so, whilst they're having this conversation, Brian's cube starts spinning. Oh, yes. And this is where we get almost like a little montage of the cubes come to life. Yeah, and they're all doing different things. Yeah. So, which is what's, what is interesting. So, I Brian think. starts spinning round. Yeah. Uh, another way we can date this episode. The Doctor's playing Wii Sports Tennis. Yeah, and, and he's even got the little pointless attachment yeah. on the uh, Wiimote. And his cube starts, like, floating around the room in front of him. Uh-huh. Amy's cube grows spikes and, like, pricks her hand. Yes, and then it starts to display, like, a heartbeat. Mm. Like, it's taking a, taking a sort of biological reading. I know, but that, again, that doesn't really go anywhere, does it? Yeah, it does. Oh, you might have to clarify that for me. Oh, look, I can I can certainly clarify that one. And yeah. then Rory's cube changes shape as though like a lid opens on it. Yeah, basically one side slides up and it it looks like it's scanning, like a sort of a mm. blue light emanates from it, like it's sort of scanning its surroundings. And whichever side Rory tries to look at, it, it will close, and then a different uh, and like the opposite side will will open and continue the scanning. Um, so, so then, yeah, this is it's all happening at once. As the Doctor's cube begins floating round, he says, "Oh, I had a metal dog once that could do that." Yeah, now I'm racking my brains. It's it's a while since I've seen a lot of the canine episodes. I remember a lot of trundling. I don't remember much floating. Um, I think in the more, uh, I don't know, because in School yeah. Reunion. He's trundling about, isn't he? Where he's yeah. got his laser gun. But then, yeah, he's blasting things out of the sky, but he's not floating. I don't know. There might be some Sarah Jane nonsense we've not maybe. seen. Maybe, maybe. Because never forget, at one point in that, he's in a black hole, isn't he? <laughs> he is. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Who, who can say? Um, but whilst we're just on that note, I don't know whether you saw one of our friends... Did you see the message that Andy sent us? Yes, I did. I'm <laughs> I'm a little annoyed with him, to be honest, because there's some spoilers in there. I hope he didn't look too closely. Uh, no, basically, Good. He, he sent us... It was like a picture montage yes. where you had each character from Doctor Who allocated mm. a certain point value. And, and you... You, had, you had 14 points, I think, to yeah. put together your, your ideal TARDIS team. Yeah. Did you see my suggestion? I, d- I did. Was it because it was like canines are two pointer, isn't he? Yeah. So I just said you... I'd have seven canines. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm, a, I'm ever so slightly annoyed with Andy because <laughs> purely because it like it goes right up to the current series, so oh. there are some definite spoilers in amongst. Well, I there, I, but, I would uh, say anything. I saw, like, there was nothing that made me, like, it didn't pique my interest. Well, that's something. Basically, anything I saw that I didn't recognise, I just went, oh, that's classic who, I don't know. So even if it was from later series, I've just... You would have just assumed it was, yeah, yeah, it was something unrelated. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, But yeah, it's hard hard to argue with seven k Yeah. So the Doctor's Cube also has a gun. Yeah. Uh, and it starts, you know, causing a little bit of trouble. So mm-hmm. whilst they formulate a plan, Rory says, you know, I can't really be part of this. I need to go to work. If the cubes are causing all this trouble, nurses are going to be required. 
Yeah. And he takes Brian along with him. Yes. As an extra set of hands just to help out. And yeah. when they get... Which, I'll be honest, is that allowed? I'm fairly confident it's not. Can you just bring your dad along in, in, in a hospital environment? Yeah. And be like, oh no, it's alright, I'll vouch for him. I mean, in, in his defence, because <laughs> of the chaos that's going on, it yeah. almost becomes like a field hospital, doesn't it? Yes, and, it does a bit. It, it does a bit. He's yeah. basically just trusting Brian to be his gopher to just yeah. run around and get bits and bobs for him. Yeah. Um, but whilst they're there, we see the odd girl that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, she's back again. Apparently, has she just been loitering in this hospital for months? It certainly seems that way. You'd think someone would have noticed. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Um, There's just this creepy girl just sort of shambling around the hospital for months. <laughs> so, the Doctor and Amy go to the Tower of London. Yep. And I, that, that's that been relevant in the past, hasn't it? Or yes, they've meant... No, they have mentioned in the past that Unit has a base in the Tower of London. Yeah, I thought so. And yeah. they meet uh, Kate Stewart again. Yeah. And she informs them that all... The cubes worldwide are doing different things. Yeah, they've all activated in some way. And there's one which is kept in like a sealed room. I love this. And the doctor says, well, it must be dangerous. I'm going to check what it does. And yeah. as he opens the door, it's just played the birdie song. <laughs> On a loop. Yeah. That, that, yeah. that would be torture enough. It would, it would. <laughs> so it's at this point the Doctor acknowledges that Kate is the Brigadier's daughter. Mm-hmm. And she says that she goes by Kate Stewart rather than Lethbridge Stewart because she doesn't want any favours or anything. Yeah, yeah. And Which is, you know, respectable. Yeah, definitely. And after 47 minutes of their first activation, all the cubes stop. Yeah. And... The next scene, again, I think ties into my idea of the importance of this episode because yeah. the Doctor asks Amy whether she considers stopping. And Yeah, it's a really lovely scene, isn't it? They're sort mm. of sat looking over the River Thames and they have a real sort of heart-to-heart. Yeah, because for all they travel together, this is one of the few times we see them actually talk as friends, if you know what I mean. Yes. Where yeah. it's not just a flippant, swashbuckling adventure chat. Yeah, it's not just, they're not just, you know, yeah, just trading witticisms whilst they peg it down a corridor. Yeah. So Amy says, you know, that herself and Rory have a life now. And the yeah. doctor sort of smiles, gives her a hug, and says, you know, Amelia Pond always gets what she wants. Yeah. And this is where he realises that the cubes have stopped because they have what they want. Yeah. And all the cubes are now, I don't want to say illuminated, but they all bear the number seven. Yes. Which then clocks down to six. And we're in countdown territory. Yeah. 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 So back at the hospital, Brian runs into the weird mouth. Doctor, nurse, porter, people mm-hmm. who kidnap him. Yeah. And Rob... now, can, can I just say because because they're, like they're, they're, they're panicking when they realise it's a countdown and there's doesn't is the order goes out to get rid of all the cubes from public places. Mm-hmm. Now, I feel like hospitals and the like. They ought to have done a bit of a clear up beforehand, surely, because at the end so. of the day, we they. Nobody knew what they were, and yes, they appeared not to do anything, but you'd still think, as a precautionary measure, let's get them away from medical equipment mm. and sick people. Um, but anyway, yeah, so no, apparently everyone's all just scrambling around at the last minute to get rid of them. Now, one one thing I thought, and it's not relevant in the slightest, Yeah. but did you notice when the people kidnap Brian and run away yes. from Rory... Yeah. The corridor they're in just seems impossibly long. It, it, does, it just looks it? like it goes on forever. Rory was never going to catch them. <laughs> you know? I don't know. I don't know whether it's just the way it was shot or yeah, something. Yeah, but it, but, it yeah. looked 
brilliant because the whole yeah. time Rory could see what was happening. Yeah. But it was, you know, a futile effort because they they literally yeah. seemed miles away. Yeah, yeah. So But anyway, yeah, so they 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 steal Brian. Yeah, so they run into the lift. The yeah. doors close. Rory reaches them almost immediately afterward, opens the door, but there's no one there. Yeah. Okay. So it turns out the lift has like a weird back wall mm-hmm. and Rory walks through it. Yeah. Now, I think it. this is basically the moment I'd point to as this is where this episode kind of unravels. Okay. I feel like everything up to this point has basically been gold. Right. I, I really I like all the emotional stuff. I like the mystery of the cubes. I love all the stuff with reintroducing unit. It, I, I basically, I'm having a fantastic time watching this episode until Rory goes through this back wall, and then from this point on, basically nothing makes sense. <laughs> so yeah, right. All the cubes worldwide now read number one. Yep. Then clock down to zero. And the Doctor puts himself in a room with one of them. Yeah. Because he... he wants to see firsthand what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And as it opens, it's empty. Yeah. However, every... Well, I've written everyone around the world. It's not necessarily everyone. But people around the world begin dying. Yeah. I think they, they, the, the estimate comes through of around a third of the world's population. That's right. So the Doctor himself begins having a heart attack. Mm. and it's... Fortunately, he's got well, to. Yeah, yeah. So the cubes are trying to short-circuit people's hearts. Yeah. And... It just like sends out an electrical pulse, doesn't it? Mm. That just... So that's where that ties back into what Amy's cube was doing. You know, it 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 kind of needled her and then kind of took her pulse. Like it was it was trying. Basically, what these these cubes were doing were trying to understand human beings, mm-hmm. find the weak points, and it was coming at them from every conceivable angle. Yeah. So, the doctor, I think it's at this point. The doctor works out that there also seems to be seven signals around the world that's why they started the countdown at number seven yeah um, i like the line where he says well the cube's got seven sides if you count the inside <laughs> uh so he finds out the nearest signal is stemming from rory's hospital mm. and we cut back then to rory who's on board an alien ship again with those weird doctor people yeah, And as the Doctor and Amy have reached the hospital, he's sort of sonic screwdrivering everything to find out where this signal's coming from. Mm-hmm. And he approaches the weird little girl that we've seen holding yeah. a cube throughout. Yeah. Except she's not a weird little girl, she's a robot. Yeah. Right. At this point, I'm just going to go get my Amazon order. Go for it. Okay, I'll be all of two minutes. Hold on. Okie doke. If I can get out my chair... Right, I'm back. I'm back. Hello. Oh, I feel lightheaded. I shouldn't have run. <laughs> oh, dear. Right, so. In order to make sure the doctor's fit and well enough to complete the adventure. Oh, I really shouldn't have run. I'm out of breath. Oh. <laughs> no worries. See, the, the, the listeners might not know this because we might have edited it, but I just got an Amazon parcel and I, I record in my attic. So I've just run down two flights of stairs, grabbed a box of trainers and run all the way back up. <laughs> I'm not Is that a, the most I'm, exercise you've done all week? Uh, certainly today. I'm not a well man. <laughs> <laughs> so Amy uses a defibrillator on the doctor to yes. start his second heart because yes. he, he's not unconscious but he's 
he's in a lot of pain and he's he's struggling and like and, and I like that his his response to only having one heart is mostly to badmouth human beings and be like, how do you cope? It's pathetic. You know. So eventually the doctor and Amy go through the portal in the back of the lift as well. Yeah. And I've just described the person they meet there as Rockface Darth Vader Man. Yes, okay. Uh, it's an actor called Stephen Burkoff. I don't know if that's a name that rings any bells with you. No. Um, he's he's best known probably more for his theatre work. Um, he was sort of like, you know, part of the vanguard of uh, modernist, postmodernist theatre, quite punchy, uh, often experimental kind of theatre. Um, but he did have a sort of side gig playing a lot of villains in movies and stuff. So, like, he plays the villain in Octopussy and I think one of the Rambo movies. And Okay. So he was sort of like, you know, back when every every villain had to be British in a Hollywood movie, he was one of the sort of ones they'd have on speed dial. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah... Um, so, no, I'm going to I'm going to save it for the moment. We'll talk more about Stephen Burkoff in a bit. Right. So he's playing the part of the Shakri. Yes, or at least one of the Shakri, or at least a hologram of one of the Shakri, yeah. <laughs> whose <laughs> aim is to halt the spread of humanity throughout yes. the universe. Yeah, they view it as a, as a plague, basically. Yeah. And he serves what he calls the Tally. Yes. Yeah. And the Doctor describes them as like the pest controllers of the universe. And yes. he describes the cubes as like slug pellets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, originally he's, he's saying, the Shakri, I thought you were just a myth. Mm. So this is his first encounter with them. Um, but yes, turns out they're real. And uh, yes, it, to serve the tally, as they refer to it. He basically says nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> I saw it on MDB later. He has eight lines in this. Really? Yes. So the Doctor comes up with a plan that if the cubes have been using electricity to stop hearts, mm-hmm. he can use it to start hearts. And he plans a mass defibrillation. Yes. So yeah. he's going to you know, rewire, do a little bit of jiggery-pokery, and he should be able... He just... Yeah, yeah. He just sonic screwdrivers it. Mm. And it's... This is one of the episodes that basically... Um, Elevates a sonic screw, screwdriver to magic wand level. Yeah, yeah. One of the sort of unspoken rules of Doctor Who writing is you don't... The sonic screwdriver gets you from A to B, but you can't use it to kind of fix a story. It can't be, like, the thing you use to mm. to kind of... Otherwise, it's just, you know, it's a magic undo button and you can do anything with it. Um, but that's kind of what they end up doing in this... This one? Well, uh, like, this is where the storyline's coming to a crescendo. Yes. And then all I've written is, they leg it through the portal as the ship explodes. Energy goes back through the cubes. Yeah. And that's, like, the resolution of the big plot. Yeah. That's it, yeah. (laughs) It's, like... um, It's it's really anticlimactic. And also, on on a sort of medical science level... These people had cardiac arrest, and then it was several minutes before the doctor gets gets to the mm. hospital, goes through into the thing, has his whole chin wag with the chakri, and then comes up with a plan yeah. and does this. They they are gonna be they're gonna have the ones that survive are gonna have been you know their brains will have been starved of oxygen for several minutes. Yeah. They are gonna be in a bad way. Yeah. Um, so don't think too closely about that. You know, assume they're all fine. But, you know, it's awkward. So so basically, it's a rubbish conclusion to, to what otherwise I think so far has been a very good story. Mm. And this is where we're going to talk a little bit more about Stephen Burkoff. I, I owned an arm over ba- about whether or not to talk about this because what I'm about to say is all unsubstantiated rumour. Okay. No one involved in the production of this story has ever gone on record publicly about what happened behind the scenes but i'm going to read this verbatim from from the entry on imdb and i've read similar things on forums reddit things like that 
Um, so this is this is how it's presented on IMDb. Stephen Burkhoff proved difficult to work with. He repeatedly went against the wishes of Douglas McKinnon, the director, in some cases just plain refusing to do what he was told, deliberately ruined takes, sometimes by reading his lines as badly as possible, and had several temper tantrums. Virtually all the footage they shot featuring Burkhoff was unusable. He was on set for three days, and yet there's eight lines of dialogue in the edit. Um... The ending as broadcast is all they could cobble together from the few scraps that they were able to salvage, plus some pickup uh, pickups filmed later on with just Karen Gillan and Arthur Darville, as well as some shots of Burkhoff, which were allegedly taken from the camera when it was left running between takes, because even the filmed footage of Burkhoff walking across the floor could not be used. Which is why they made him a hologram. Like, the intention was yeah. for him not to be a hologram, but they just had to basically keep him in place. Um, it was not, uh, not originally the intention for the Shakri to be a hologram or for the plot to effectively be resolved entirely by the sonic screwdriver, but that was all they were able to do with what they had. Wow. So. Why didn't they just yeah. sack him? you're running to a schedule, you know, you don't have time to yeah. get someone else in and, you know, and they would have paid money because, like, he's a, he was the big name guest star for this story. I don't know. I, than... I feel if you've got enough people there that are just, like, extras, if you just yeah. said, one of you has the opportunity to be a Doctor Who villain, <laughs> you know, they would have I think there'll be contracts in place. In. And, but there's probably contracts and stuff. Yeah. Like if they've hired him to play the part, it has to be his performance on screen. I don't know, but who knows exactly what? The, but that's that's certainly what's given. That's the true. Close... What a dick! Why? Why exactly. would you ever do that? I don't know. You know I just... I'm not a big Doctor Who fan, but if you're paid to do a job, do the job. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable, isn't it? But it's but it's certainly it, when you read it, you're like, well, I guess that makes sense then. It at least goes some way to explaining why it's such a... And again... It I feels think, like a cobbled together cop I think we need to reiterate that it's all speculation. We don't want any yes. legal ramifications. No, 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 absolutely not. We are we are only repeating gossip yeah. that has been spread elsewhere. These views do not necessarily reflect me and yeah. David. So I'm going to read you one more quote. This is the closest to a confirmation you will find so far. Back in 2012... Uh, the director, Douglas McKinnon, gave an interview with Starburst magazine. And on the subject of Stephen Burkhoff, this is what he said. The experience of working with him on Doctor Who was something that will never be repeated. You could ask anyone on the cast or crew and they'll agree that his participation was extraordinary. Right. <laughs> that, that's it. So he's not praising him? No, that's He's the not most, saying that he's done anything wrong, know, but it's... Politically... It's, unaggressive <laughs> yeah. yeah that is someone who does not want to stir the pot yeah yeah uh and he'd worked with uh he'd worked with him previously on other projects apparently so perhaps it was beef between mckinnon and burkoff and they'd had a falling out between that other project and then cu- him coming on to this has, has um, burkoff himself ever commented i don't think so no um but yeah, it's a shame because like he he can be a very good actor on screen. You know, mm. you've seen him in other stuff, and he he can be very good. But for whatever reason, he was just being <laughs> he was allegedly being an absolute dickhead right. when they when they filmed this. So uh, you know, so like, yeah, I don't, like I, say, I don't. I'm not a big Doctor Who fan. Yeah, but if I was presented the opportunity, even if you took Doctor Who out of the equation, if you said. You get to film a scene with Matt Smith and, you know, Karen Gillan, Arthur Darville, all really good actors. Yeah. You know, even if I absolutely hated the experience, it would be something you could put on your resume. I'd be able to rationalise it. Yeah. You know, behaving like that, if he did, is inexcusable. It really is, isn't it? But anyway, so so that's why I... Look, I can't say this is the best episode of the series so far because the ending lets it down so much. Mm. But but I, I think if they'd managed to do, to actually pull off the original ending, this could have gone down in history as, as one of the best of mm. this series. Well, I think the little tag at the end goes some way to save it. 
Yeah. So, so yeah, let's let's do that. Cut back, and the doctor's having dinner with Amy, Rory, and Brian, and he basically says, "Right, time to go. I'm going on my next adventure." And Amy yeah. and Rory are hesitant to join. Yes. Him. Yeah. But then Brian actively encourages them. He's he's mm-hmm. almost been the voice of reason throughout the episode. Yeah. In terms of, you know, it's pretty mental that you go adventuring all the time. <laughs> but then he yeah. says, well, you know, who else is better served to save the worlds? Yeah. And then this is where I really think the episode comes into its own, is sort mm-hmm. of the final line where he says, just bring them back safe. Yeah. And he knows, and the Doctor knows, that the Doctor hasn't always been able to do that. Yeah. So I think if I'm making another big prediction, I think something really awful is about to happen. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. I mean, he specifically has sort of made the vow to Brian when he says, you know, some of them died, but he he says to Brian, not them, never them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Famous last words. Mm, potentially but i really like brian's uh philosophy on it where where you know the doctor says to him you can come with us if you like brian you know he's been on an adventure with him once already and brian just says nah someone's got to stay and water the plants yeah oh you just want to hug him don't you yeah Uh, so yeah i i think the actual episode not that great but everything else around it really good Really good. Yeah, all 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 the character beats really work mm, definitely. in this episode. Yeah, definitely. and 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 again, I the actual the story of the, the concept of the cubes and everything that the cubes do, I think is really interesting. It's all of it's it's the the hospital porters who are I guess are like drones working for the Shakri or something. Mm. I don't know why they're stealing bodies and taking well, them onto the ship. Yeah, and what what this made me think of is. Like I quite like the idea of almost a non-aggressive invasion. Yeah. And the last time yeah. we saw that, it was the little fat babies. Yes. And yeah. I think, you know, if you put these two on the scales, this is the one, you know, it absolutely smashes it. I think it's a really yeah. interesting concept. Yes. Yeah, it really is. It's 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 really just, just those last few minutes that kind of, kind of <laughs> let it down quite a lot. But... Uh, but overall, I do think it's you know that I'd probably say it's like a seven out of ten or something for me because I enjoy everything else around it so much that I I just sort of gloss over the fact that the story ultimately doesn't make a lick of sense. Mm. Um, the Shakri as a concept for a villain like pest controllers of the universe that's that's not a bad idea. No, it's just not it's just not not executed properly in this story. Um, so I'd almost be up. We'll probably never see a return of the Shakri, but yeah. I'd kind of be up for it because I feel like you've got there's the opportunity to do that concept justice sometime, mm, maybe. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, I guess that 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 about does it for the Power of Three. Uh, so join us next week when we will be discussing the Angels Take Manhattan. Oh, uh, that worries me. <laughs> what if I told you it's written by Stephen Moffat? Uh, well, I uh, I really hope He's... if it's the Angels, right? Yeah, I mean, their sequel episode wasn't as good as the original, mm. but then it's the Take Manhattan bit that worries me. Yeah, you know, we've seen the Daleks take Manhattan. We have. And... We've seen the Muppets take Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hope it's not a period piece. <laughs> Is it got... We'll have to wait and see. I hope it hasn't got pig people in it and fucking Tallulah and all that crap. Oh, what if it was just a direct sequel and we just caught up with all of those characters? I, I don't think I'd watch it. <laughs> you just refuse. That would just be the first episode of the podcast where it's just I, me I talking to myself I mean, for an I hour. I put this out on our Twitter. I'll tell you what really annoys me is every yeah. time I sit down and I load up iPlayer and I think, right, Doctor Who time, I have to scroll past at least half a dozen programs I'd rather watch. 
So I don't know. Maybe next week yeah. you can talk about this, and I'll. I don't know. I'll watch Killing Eve or something. I don't know. I think you'll have things to say about it. I definitely think you'll have stuff to say about next week. Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> Well, join us, join us then, and we'll see what Matt has to say about the Angels Take Manhattan. Until then, thank you very much for listening, everyone, and uh, cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.